The time that we have been waiting for has finally arrived. After all of the decorations, the preparations, the cooking, the shopping, after all of the thinking and pondering and prayer we have done here, everything over the last month or so has led to today and tomorrow. And so even with all of the hustle and bustle, even with all of the fact that y'all are thinking, I hope he gets me out in time to get the roast in the oven before everybody shows up at the house. Don't let any of that distract you from what is most important. You know, the, the world around us would have us believe that Christmas is just about the festivities and the lights and the movies without paying any attention to the greater truth behind it. Christmas Eve has finally come, and as we gather, we celebrate the birth of Jesus. His arrival ushered in all of those things that we've been talking about over the last several weeks. God's hope, God's love, God's joy, and God's peace. You know, I, I know that I'm not the only one that when I was little and perhaps still I struggled over the course of December. Struggled waiting for Christmas. You know, it would seem that, that December was about a month and a half longer than every other month of the year. You know, as a kid and as an adult, the hard part is waiting. I, I, I don't wait well. I'm not a patient person. I think we can all sort of relate to being impatient, at least on occasion. And, and because we, we understand that and we know that, we have a, a small picture of what God's people went through before Jesus was born. You know, the Old Testament is full of prophetic words about the coming Messiah. The one who would arrive in the future to, to save God's people from their sins, to, to free them from the oppression that they were suffering. His promises are made over and over and over again. We've read bunches of them this month from Isaiah and in Jeremiah and throughout Scripture. We see it. These promises, these promises that are spoken as a reminder that God has not forgotten about His people. We turn to the Psalms, we see over and over again these, these poetic laments about how long the people had waited for God to come. Songs that implore God to remember His promises. And so... God's people waited. As we celebrate the arrival of Jesus, let us begin at the end. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Acts. Not what you were probably expecting coming in on Christmas. 
But from the book of Acts, the first chapter, we're going to read verses 9, 10, and 11. So we're going to start at the end and we're going to see what this is all about. Will you stand with me as we read together? Acts chapter 1, verses 9, 10, and 11. After he, Jesus, had said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. This is the word of God. Read it, believe it, and live it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly God, as we open Your Word, as we remember Your promises, as we wait for You, we know that the promises that You make are real and true and will be fulfilled. And so God, as we open Your Word, as we study it this morning, we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable and pleasing to you, our God and our King. Amen. You may be seated. The first thing that we need to consider this morning is that God is working in our waiting. God is working in our waiting. As, as we read through Old Testament, we, we see that though it may have seemed to Israel that God had forgotten about them, we know that he was working in them and through them the whole time. He was teaching them to rely on him in the wilderness. He was forming them into a faithful people in the temple. He was building them into a, a great nation from which the good news of Christ's birth would come. We see over and over and over again in the Old Testament that God is always up to something. And so, when we close the Old Testament, and we turn that page and we jump about 500 years forward, we see the New Testament beginning with the, the long-awaited incarnation of God. We, we see the story of this young woman from Nazareth, Mary, who gives birth to a son, Jesus, in Bethlehem. We, we see him wrap, we see her wrap him in clothes and lying, lay him in the manger, just as the prophets had said would happen. The, we see the angels come and tell the shepherds that, that the wait is finally over. As we keep reading, we, we see Jesus grow into a man, be faithful to God during His three years of ministry. We see the Son be obedient even unto death, even to death on a cross. After He has died, we see Him laid in a manger. We see the world hold its breath. And then we see in Stone rolled away and an empty tomb. We see him appear to his disciples and, and promise them that, that he was going 
to heaven to be with God, but that one day he would return. We, we see here the passage that we just read, that after Jesus has spent these final moments, after his resurrection with the disciples, that, that he ascends into heaven, bodily ascends into heaven. And just like that, Jesus was gone. The, the one that the God's people had spent hundreds, thousands of years waiting for. And who had, who had had him for, for just three short years. Just like that, he's, he's gone. The disciples who, who thought they had lost him and then got him back are left staring into the sky, wondering what to do next. This wasn't the plan. This wasn't the expectation. And we see that just as angels had announced his birth, angels come to the disciples here at the ascension and tell them what's going on. Angels had come and spoken to the shepherds, and now angels come and speak to the disciples. And they ask them, they say, why are you standing here staring up into the sky? Go, there's work to be done. Stop, stop staring into the sky. There are, there are hurting people who, who need the hope of resurrection. Get, get moving. And then the angel says that Jesus will return one day just as he left. And so a whole new season of waiting is inaugurated. One that we find ourselves in today. This this season of God's people waiting between His ascension and His final coming. You know, biblical prophecy provides some of the greatest encouragement and hope available to us today. Just as the Old Testament is saturated with prophecies concerning Christ's first advent, both Testaments are filled with references to the second and final coming of Christ. One scholar estimates that there are 1,845 references to Christ's second coming in the Old Testament, where 17 books give it prominence. In the 260 chapters in the New Testament, there are 318 references to the second advent of Christ. That's, that's one out of every 30 verses in the New Testament. 23 of the 27 New Testament books refer to Jesus' second coming. For every prophecy in the Bible concerning Christ's first advent, there are eight which look forward to His second. And so, as we wait and continue waiting, today, I want to remind you that one day, Christ will return. He will return to defeat sin and death and sickness once and for all. That He will perfectly restore His creation. That, that when he arrives, there will be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more wars, no more death. 
And that's great. And it sounds wonderful. But we have to wait. And can't we agree that waiting is not easy? I don't know about you, but I would love to see all of these future promises become a reality right now. I would love for there to be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more wars, no more death right now. But God knows what He is doing. He's, he's working in our waiting, even though we may not see it, even though we may not experience it, even though we, we may not understand it. And we can't just sit around staring up into the sky and counting down the minutes until His return, until something good happens. Because see, the good news of Jesus, that He came as a baby, and that He lived, and that He died, and that He rose again, the good news, the Gospel, is a gift. It's a gift to us, but it's the one gift that you can feel not guilty about re-gifting about turning around and, and giving it out to other people again. It's a, it's a good gift that needs to be shared in word and in deed. And when we spend our time actively waiting, knowing that God is shaping us, He will shape us and He will mold us into the people that He wants us to be. And all of the years of waiting won't be wasted. Which brings us to our second point. Jesus will return for all to see. Jesus will return for all to see. And we, we, we're familiar with the story of Christmas, right? This, the first advent. That, 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 that he came in, into this small town called Bethlehem. And that, that the audience of his birth was some farm animals and some shepherds. We've talked this Christmas season about how his arrival was, was in a lowly estate. That nobody really paid attention. But brothers and sisters, this, the second Advent is going to be something that cannot be missed. Jesus' birth marked a, a humble beginning, but his return will be a display of His glory for the whole world to see. You know, the angels tell the disciples that He's going to come back just the way that He left. Let's not forget that one of the disciples who's standing there staring into the skies is the Apostle John. And very early in John's revelation, we read him write this, look, He is coming with the clouds, every eye will see Him. Even those who pierced Him and all of the tribes of the earth will mourn over Him. So it is to be. Amen. Every eye will see Him. No one will miss His triumphant appearance. You know, there, there are things that happen each year, various things in our lives that we don't want to miss, right? There are important Appointments that we make. There are, there are regular events that happen that we want to make sure that we're a part of every year. I remember 
a number of years ago, around Christmas time, I would pull my phone out and I, I had a countdown that would show up on the front of my phone. That countdown was the number of days to January 9th of 2016. That day was really important to me because that was the day that I got to marry Audrey. I didn't want to miss it. And so I had the countdown on my phone. I, I knew, I knew, I knew to the minute. This was not just a countdown that was days. This was a countdown that was days, hours, minutes, and seconds. Because I knew this moment that the back doors of Walnut Hills Baptist Church in Williamsburg, Virginia were going to open. And hopefully Audrey and Dave were going to be standing there. And not just Dave with some really bad news. We, we anticipate, right? We mark things down. We, we, we mark down the calendar waiting for our birthday or for Christmas or for a vacation. You know, the last book of Scripture, Revelation, tells us just a little bit about what to expect. Like a, like a big parade, the Bible says that Jesus will return with trumpet blasts and riding in the clouds. It will be something to see and experience. It's going to be something we don't want to miss. The difference between that and the normal events in our lives that we don't want to miss is we cannot do a countdown. We do not know the day and the hour that Jesus will return. We, we can't put it in our calendars. We can't make a countdown app to tell us. In fact, Scripture tells us that the day and the hour is a mystery known only to the Father. That, that standing there, staring into the heavens, waiting, and trying to calculate when it's going to happen is a waste. What Scripture is clear is that we have to live each and every day as if it could be today. When Jesus returns, we're told that the peoples of the earth will be in mourning. They were going to mourn because the first time Jesus came as a Savior, but the second time He's going to come as a judge. And so we have to live ready. Because the day is going to come when, when we have to give an account for our life. There's gonna, the day is going to come when we will be judged on, on what we did with the grace and the mercy that was offered to us on the cross. Did we believe and receive? Or did we reject? Which brings us to our third point. Do not grow weary of waiting. Do not grow weary of waiting. Waiting, as I said, waiting is hard. I am not good at waiting. I, I like, I like to, to go. I see the end and I want to get there. But I know I'm not alone in that. I mean, who of us likes to wait in line at the DMV? I don't see any hands up. 
when things take too long, we can grow weary, can't we? You know, I mean, it'd be easy for us to make the joke, the longest six days of my life was the five minutes I waited in line at the DMV. When we wait, we, we can grow weary. But I, I want to encourage you today, brothers and sisters, to remain faithful, to continue to endure and to not give up the fight. The book of, the book of Hebrews is one of my favorite books in Scripture. And it was written by an unknown author. It does not tell us, unlike virtually every other book in the New Testament, it does not tell us who authored it. This unknown author is writing to, to, to a church that's being tempted to give up their faith. It's not easy to have faith in Christ. And so over and over and over again, the author of Hebrews implores his listeners to remain steadfast in order to receive the blessed rest of God that was promised to them. We read in, in Hebrews 9, 28, So also Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second kind time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. The author speaks this second advent in, in the future to encourage his readers. He tells them that when Jesus appears a second time, it will not be to deal with our sin. Our sin has been dealt with. No, Jesus is going to return to save those who are waiting for him. To save those who are eagerly doing the work of the gospel. Preparing for the arrival of the bridegroom. And so it asks, we must ask the question, are, are we eagerly waiting for Jesus to come again? Do you live every day as if that promise is true and imminent? See, one of the things that had happened to God's people is they knew the Savior was coming, but they weren't living every day expecting the Savior to show up. And so when He did show up in Bethlehem, they were not ready. They were not expecting it. So for the, the Christians who believe that Jesus will return for His church one day, it must impact every day how we live. Oswald Smith was a, a well-known Canadian pastor and missionary in the early 20th century. I, I recently came across this quote and, and it sort of made me rethink some stuff. Talking to the church and he says, we, we talk of the second coming. We talk of the second coming, but half the world has never heard of the first. We sit here and we stare into the clouds and, and we conjecture and we wait and we theorize about this second coming. 
when over half the world is still waiting to hear about the first Advent, about the first Christmas. We can sing our festive hymns together today. We can celebrate the saving grace that was given to us through the birth of Jesus. But we have to remember that just down the street from us, there are those who have never heard that God sent His Son because they are loved. We have to remember that there may be people in our very family who've never really heard this wonderful news. If you've ever spent any time reading anything about communication and communication in marriage, you'll know that there are, there's a difference between listening and hearing, right? That, that, we, can, that we can hear something, but if we're not listening, it doesn't affect us. I got that right, right? Not backwards? All right. I have to ask our new psychology grad here to make sure I got it right. But, but we can hear things and it doesn't affect us. We haven't really truly been listening. Brothers and sisters, there are a lot of people in our world, in our community, and in our families who have heard the good news of Jesus, but they've never listened to it. It's gone in one ear and out the other. It hasn't affected them. It hasn't changed them. We have to remember that we cannot grow weary of waiting. And that we cannot grow weary of sharing this wonderful gift with others so that they might know the joy of God's love. I think there's a requirement for every Baptist hymnal that about every other hymn be written by Fanny Crosby. Y'all know many of Fanny Crosby's songs. But in, in 1869, she penned the words to the great mission hymn, Rescue the Perishing. She was... She was asked about the song sometime later, and, and she explained it was written following a personal experience at the New York City Bowery Mission. She would, she would go one night a week to talk to who, those whom she referred to as her boys. And one night while she was speaking to them, she kept having the thought that there was a, a boy present who had wandered away from his mother and must be rescued that night or that he would be forever lost. And so each night, to each boy, she, she made a plea. And finally, at the end of the service, one of the young men, one of the boys came forward and, and said, did you mean me, Miss Crosby? Did you mean me? I promised my mother 
that I would meet her in heaven, but I've never done what I needed to do. See, he had grown up in a household where he had, had heard, but he hadn't listened. And that night, he, he listened. He, he truly heard. And so this, this Christmas, I, I want you tonight and tomorrow, I want you to have fun. Man, let me tell you, with these two, it's getting fun. A little overwhelming, but mostly fun. I want you to have fun. I want you to, to eat well and sing and enjoy your family. But, but I also want you to know that, that as we remember the first advent, and as we wait for the second. I, I hope that, that we can have the heart of Fanny Crosby to, to tirelessly pursue those who are far from God. That, that as we remember the, the birth of Jesus, we don't fall into the trap of, of staring into the heavens waiting for him to come back. But that following the, the admonition of the angels that we go and we get the work done. I, I, I want us to find God. To not work off the assumption that the people that we think know him do. One of the ways that we commune with God is at this table. This is, this is his table. It's an opportunity for us to come together and, and, and to receive something tangible to, to remind us of God and of his presence and of his grace. If our deacons would begin to make their way forward. We know and we celebrate and we remember the story of Jesus' birth. But we also take the time to remember the story of his death. And on the night that he was going to be betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this, this is my body broken for you. Likewise, after the supper, he, he took the cup and he blessed it. And he said, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins, for you and for the many. Brothers and sisters, this, this is not my table. This is not Fairmont First Baptist's table. This is the 
Lord's table. Everyone who is in relationship with him, who has received the gift of baptism, is welcome at this table. This is a chance to remember what the birth of that baby was all about. Brothers and sisters, this is the bread of life. Take, eat, in remembrance of him. This is the cup of salvation, the blood of Christ, to inaugurate a new covenant for the forgiveness of our sins 
and the many. Take, drink, in remembrance of him. Brothers and sisters, Scripture tells us that as oft as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we do so in the proclamation of his death until he comes again. Our hymn of invitation this morning